I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7 to 18, which is on page 1065 of the Church Bibles. Now if the ministry of death, chiseled in letters on stones, came with glory, so that the Israelites were not able to look directly at Moses' face because of the glory from his face, a fading glory, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was fading away was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites could not stare at the end of what was fading away, but their minds were closed. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking, as in a mirror, at the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. G'day everyone. Keep that passage open and uh, I'll do some prayer as we get underway. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and we thank you that uh, every word of scripture is breathed out by you. We thank you that it's useful for training us, for teaching us, for correcting us, sometimes for rebuking us, but always for training us in righteousness. And Father, we pray now uh, that we will listen carefully to your word, that we'll let it change our minds and our hearts and then flow out into the way we live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the things they uh, don't tell you before you have children is uh, just how exasperating dinner time is with small children. Uh, and a friend gave me some great advice when uh, Sam was first born. And he said, uh, one of the tricks with getting your kids to eat their dinner is to make sure you keep their expectations very, very low. Uh, that's the way to do it. Don't let them ever try any sweet things or any expensive foods or anything like that, else they just won't eat the chops and mashed potato that you're going to give them the other six nights of the week. And in fact, the real win is when you convince them that beans and carrots and celery are treats. And so you know you've won when they say, who wants a Tim Tam when I can have mashed potato? You know, or who wants a Coke when I could have a cold drink of milk or something like that? That's when you've succeeded. Now, if you know my children, you know I didn't succeed, but, uh, and I'm only half joking, sort of, but on a serious note, it's amazing how many people fall for this with the gospel. Uh, they let people set their expectations too low. They let teachers tell them to be satisfied with a gospel that is not the real and glorious gospel. It's amazing how often that happens. People, frankly, often settle for a worthless, second-grade sort of gospel instead of the true, wonderful, glorious gospel of grace. Uh, and it's like they're just sort of satisfied eating chops and mashed potato when they could have a gourmet meal every night. 
And that is what this passage is about today. Come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul has gone to this place, Corinth, and he has preached the true gospel. That's what he's done, and they've believed it. The news that Jesus is the Son of God, he is the Lord, he is the Christ, and he came into the world, even though we do not deserve it, even though we are sinners who only deserve God's judgment, he has come into the world and he has died for our sins. And then he's risen again to offer us the hope of eternal life. And then he has said, for you to receive that, it's not on the basis of what you do. It is a wonderful free gift and you receive it by faith. You are saved by grace through faith. That is the gospel that he preached to them. And that's what they believed. And that is the most wonderful news anyone can ever hear. And I pray it's the news you believe. But now what had happened is false teachers had come into this church in Corinth. And they were really impressive men. They were far more impressive than Paul. And they said, Paul, these guys are much better than you. They're much better speakers you're not that good a speaker we we like this guy he's much more impressive these false teachers and and they they're more gifted they're more persuasive we we like the sound of their arguments and then they said look they've got letters of recommendation sort of makes me think we're often people if they want you to believe them today just sort of print out all the letters different sort of letters after their names and you say they must be good they've got all those university degrees and then you realize actually they came out of a cornflake packet in america but the, the point was these men looked much more impressive than Paul and they said Paul hasn't given you the whole story he hasn't given you the whole gospel you need a different gospel to the one that Paul preached and their particular false teaching was to do with the Old Testament they were saying you need to do more than trust in Jesus they were saying you need to be Jewish you you need to keep the old testament law you you need to be circumcised you need to keep all those food laws and all those other things paul keeps telling you you have this freedom in the gospel but what sort of a religion is that well you're free no no no. good religion has rules And, and so we've got all these rules for you it's not just faith in jesus you've got to do all this other stuff as well now i don't think that we are likely to be tempted by that false teaching here in our church today. I don't think if, if I got up here and said to you, actually, I've been telling you the wrong message for the last 13 years. Uh, actually, what you've got to do, everyone, all the guys, you've got to come out and be circumcised and uh, everyone else stop eating all the things you love eating. I, think, I don't think I'd even follow my own religion at that point. You, you know. uh, but there are plenty of false gospels being peddled today. And you've only got to search on the internet and every second, actually, nine out of ten you come across will be a false gospel. There's the prosperity gospel that promises blessings that God does not promise in this life. The blessings of heaven now. Uh, And there are plenty of people who preach you are not saved by faith alone. That, that, That actually it's your works that save you in some way. And you can find a thousand false teachers if you just go and sit on the internet tonight. So don't do it. And that's why we always need to test everything against the scriptures but I want us to see Paul's answer to this particular false teaching tonight because in answering it what he does is he helps us to see just how wonderful the true gospel is that's my point tonight it's the point of this passage to show us how glorious Jesus is and how silly how stupid you would be to give up the true gospel to follow a false gospel Now, some false teachings in the New Testament where Paul refutes them, he just says, that is dumb, that is stupid. Paul was not very postmodern. 
He didn't sort of have this problem of, oh, you've got your right to believe what you believe, even though it's wrong. No, Paul wasn't like that. If someone came to the church and told a false gospel, he said awful things about them. He was very straightforward and very clear cut. But he doesn't want us to do that here because he loves the Old Testament. See, what these guys are doing is they're abusing the Old Testament. And Paul loves the Old Testament, so he doesn't want to write it off. He doesn't want to say, don't go and read the law of Moses. Don't go and read your Old Testament. He sees it as vitally important for understanding God's holiness, for understanding who God is, and for the way it points us forward to Jesus. The problem with this false teaching about the Old Testament wasn't that the Old Testament is wrong or bad. It's that they hadn't understood that a new time has come that we're not in the Old Testament anymore. We're in a better time. Now we have something much better than what they were saying go back to. So why would you settle for the lesser thing? You ever walk down the uh, freezer aisle at Woolies or Coles? Not at Aldi, because I'm sure they wouldn't have it because they don't have these sort of things. But at Woolies or Coles, and you know how they have those little tubs of ice cream that are about $42? You know, like the salted caramel with pecans and burnt fig and all those sort of things. And you sort of look at them fondly and you go... $42 for 100 mils of I can't do it. And so what you do is you find a rich friend who has them in their eye. No, I'm a jack. But, but it'd be like if you had that in your freezer, and if you have that in your freezer, you can invite me over after church tonight. It'd be like you had that in your freezer and you said, but you know what? I'm going to go and have a tub of plain yogurt with a slightly raised lid. You know how your yogurt goes when it's a couple of days past the years by and the lid expands out? And you sort of think, that was good in its time. But as if you would give, as if you would give that up, the Maggie beer, salted caramel with Murray salt figs or something in it, as if you would give that up for the yogurt that's now past its use-by date. That's his argument here. He's saying it's not that the yogurt wasn't nice and right in its time, but why would you give up something far better for that? That's his point. So he makes that sort of comparison. Look at me from verse 7. He says, Now, if the ministry of death, Sounds pretty awful, but he's talking about the Old Testament law, and I'll explain why he calls it the ministry of death in a minute. If the ministry of death, chiseled in letters on stones, came with glory, so that the Israelites were not able to look directly at Moses' face because of the glory from his face, a fading glory, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Comparing the Old Testament law... And it came on tablets of stone. So if you've read the book of Exodus, remember how the Old Testament law came? God gave it to Moses to give to the people. And it was on tablets of stone. And he says, I'm comparing that, that's what you want to go back to, to the New Testament, the ministry of Jesus, that comes with the Holy Spirit into your heart. So you've got the Old Testament chiseled on stone versus the New Testament that comes with the Holy Spirit into your heart. And it's a ministry of death because all it ever did was show you that you couldn't do it. That was the problem with the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was good. God's laws don't change. God's morals don't change. But it says, he said, it's a ministry of death because what it does is, is it shows you that you can't keep it and so deserve God's judgment. That's the Old Testament law. And the incident he's talking about here is back in Exodus 34. If you want to make a note for yourself to go read it later, Exodus 34, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses and Moses went up on the mountain and he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of the Lord. So that's the incident he's talking about. And then he brought down the ministry of death, the stone tablets, to the people. And because no one could keep it, it just condemned them. It said, you are a sinner. That's what the Old Testament law does. 
But Paul says, even that law that brought death was glorious. And you could see how glorious it was because when Moses came down from the mountain, his face shone like a beacon because he had been in the presence of the glory of God. When I've been out in the sun too long, you can tell. And people sometimes point it out to me when I'm up here. They go, yeah, in the sun yesterday, Phil, you look a bit hot. I choose to take that in a different way to the way they've said it. But my face goes bright red because my complexion does not tan. I'm jealous of all of you who tan. I just go bright red and it looks even more bright red because my eyebrows go bright white. And so if you turned off the lights, you would still see me at the front. (laughs) Remember that week where the lights didn't work? You could still see me up here preaching because my face is like a beacon. Well, times that by a thousand. And that is what Moses was like when he came down from the mountain. His face shone with the glory of God. And after a while, he actually put a veil over his face. So Moses, who's that musician who covers her face all the time? Uh, Sia, yes. Well, Moses was like Sia. You'll never hear that quoted ever again. <laughs> but he, he put a veil over his face so that people wouldn't see the glory of God fading away. That's what he did. But, but Paul's saying that's how glorious the Old Testament law was. It's not bad. It's that glorious. But he says if that ministry, that law that brought death was that glorious, then how much more glorious is the ministry of the Spirit? How much more glorious is it for us, the New Testament believer? If you believe in Jesus, you have God living in you by his Spirit. How much more wonderful is that, that you have God's Holy Spirit inside you, convicting you of the truth of the gospel and shaping you to be more like Jesus? He keeps going in verse 9. Look at verse 9. He says, For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, that's the Old Testament law, all it does is condemn us and say you need saving. If it had glory, the ministry of righteousness overflows with even more glory. See, How much more glorious is the ministry of Jesus that declares you are righteous? You are right with God even though you are a sinner. Even though you are a sinner like me who deserves God's judgment, the ministry of Jesus declares you right with God and offers you forgiveness and offers you life and offers you hope even though we do not deserve it. How glorious is that? How much more glorious is that ministry, is that message that we know and trust in? In fact, look at verse 10. It says, in fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. You know, when you're in total darkness and you turn on a torch and the torch, you think, gee, that torch is bright. And there's always someone at the campsite who shines it in your face. Just have a bit of fun and, you know, oh, thanks for that. Good, good friend, you know. But then when the floodlights turn on or, or when the sun comes out, the torch just looks insignificant. Well, Paul is saying that's like the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law is like a torch in the darkness. But now we have the glory of Jesus. And so it just looks insignificant, unglorious in comparison with the glory we see in the gospel. That is the difference between Moses and Jesus. So Paul is saying, why keep the torch on? Why keep messing around with your little torch? 
when you've got the sun burning in the sky? Why mess around with your out-of-date yogurt when you've got this wonderful thing? That is how glorious Jesus and the wonderful gospel is. And just to ram home the point, Paul reminds us that Moses' glory faded. One of the reasons Moses put the veil over his face, I think a lot of people read and think he put it over not so he didn't scare people. So people didn't walk around going, ah, he's shining off his face. But actually, when when you read it, one of the reasons he put the veil over his face was because he didn't want them to see it fading away. Because each time, it gradually faded away until he went back to the presence of the Lord. You see, the glory of Jesus and the gospel will never, ever fade away. Look at verse 11. He says, for if what was fading away was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Nothing is ever going to replace or surpass the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we go on to the second half of the passage, I just want to pause at this point and make a couple of points. I think they're on your outline. The first is I just want to implore you, please never forget how glorious Jesus and his gospel is. That's the first thing I want you to take, and the main thing I want you to take away from tonight. We are sinners who deserve the judgment of God, but God has revealed his glory to us by sending us his son to be our saviour. Not to condemn us, but to die for us, to make us righteous. And we receive that gift totally freely, by grace, through faith in Christ. That is what we believe, and that is the most glorious message ever. So please never forget it and never move aside from it and that's my second point so don't ever settle for anything less if I preach to you a different message to that it's time to get a new minister it's time to kick me out don't ever settle for anything less than that do not be led astray by false teachers who will tell you you need more Jesus is not enough. Jesus isn't who he claims to be. You don't need him or you, don't need, or you need more than him. The best remedy to false teaching, there's thousands of false teachings. People will teach you all sorts of nonsense. Just look on the, don't look on the internet. It's a waste of time. The internet is 90% bad. That's just the reality of it because our world is sinful and fallen and the internet is part of our fallen sinful world. You you will find every false teaching on the sun but the only way to be prepared for false teaching is every day to remind yourself of the wonderful truth of the gospel because then everything else just fades in comparison. But now let's go on. We're on to the second part of the passage. Look with me from verse 12 because now the Apostle Paul says because we know that glorious gospel because we know this amazing message that should give you an incredible boldness to declare it to share it with others look at verse 12 he says therefore having this such a hope we use great boldness we are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites could not stare at the end of what was fading away See, as I said before, Moses put the veil over to hide the glory of God shining from his face. He hid it away so that people wouldn't see it fading. But the glory of Jesus never fades, so don't put a veil over it. There's never a reason to hide 
the glory of Jesus and his gospel. We let it shine. We, we declare it with boldness because it is the message that everyone needs to hear. I love that old gospel song. People know that song, let it shine, let it shine. I'm not going to sing it for you. And that's the only line I know in the whole song, let it shine, let it shine, and they just sing it over and over again. But it's such a one, it's the truth. The message of Jesus does not need you to make it shinier. He just needs you not to veil it and to let it shine with boldness. But if Jesus is so glorious as we have come to see, I take it the reason you're here is because you know the glory of Jesus. We have seen the glory of Jesus. We believe it is the most wonderful news you can ever hear. Then why don't other people see it? Have you ever asked that question? As we share the glory of Jesus, or as I do anyway, some people see it straight away. It's wonderful when they do. There's nothing better than when a person just says, oh, that is amazing. What, what must I do to be saved? And it's the greatest privilege to be able to pray with a person as they come to know the Lord and see his glory. But it's amazing how many people just don't see it and just don't get it. What amazes me even more is when you say it clearly to people and then when they say it back to you, they've totally missed it. They just don't get it. Sometimes, if I, I have many failings, I think I'm reasonably clear when I preach or when I share the gospel. But sometimes I preach and then someone comes to me afterwards and they say, oh, thanks for that message, Phil. We, uh, yeah, it, it, God really wants us to be more religious, doesn't he? And I'm like, what did, I, did I say that? I said you're saved by faith and nothing else. And yet someone sitting there hears the opposite. How does that happen? Or other people, they just don't care. They just don't want to hear it. Well, Paul says that is because there is a veil over people's hearts. Just like the veil that was over Moses' face, there is a veil over people's hearts. Even though we don't veil the glory of God, there is another veil, a veil that stops people seeing the glory of Jesus. Look with me at verse 14. I'm going to read quite a long section now, so follow along with me. He's talking about mainly the Jews of the Old Testament and of his time. He says, But their minds were closed. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now that all sounds very complicated, but I actually think it's quite a simple point that he's making. He was talking about his people, he was talking about the Jews and he's saying even though they have the Old Testament and they would go to the synagogue every Sabbath and they would hear those wonderful passages from the Old Testament. They'd hear Psalm 130 like I think Tom read for us before. That wonderful thing that says you're waiting for God's salvation and they still can't see it. They'd hear Isaiah 53 read out that talks about one who would suffer for their sins and yet they still can't see it. And they hear Psalm 2 that talks about a king who will come. And they still can't see it. And his point is, as they sit there, it's like their minds and their hearts are veiled. They heard the law of Moses. And instead of seeing their sin and turning to God for forgiveness, they thought they could impress God by what they did. And the only way that veil is ever removed is when a person hears the truth about Jesus and believes it. That's what verse 14 is saying. 
It's what verse 16 is saying. And then in verse 17, that freedom from the veil, I think that's the freedom he's talking about there, only comes when the Spirit works in a person to sweep it aside and open their eyes. You see, that veil is not just over the hearts and minds of the Jews of Paul's time. We'll see in next week's passage how that veil is over the mind of every person who does not see Jesus for who he is. The veil that convinces people there is no God or that convinces people that I have no need for God, I don't need salvation, I'm perfectly fine. Now again, what does that mean for us? A couple of points. The first is, be bold. That's the point of these verses. Look at verse 12. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness. We have the most amazing Lord there is. If you're after something more, I've got nothing more for you because God has nothing more for you. We have it all in Jesus. So if you have that hope, if you know the glory of Jesus, he says, be bold, let it shine. But secondly, don't let a lack of response shake your boldness and your joy in the glory of Jesus. God warned us that people's hearts are veiled. Your heart was veiled until someone shared the gospel with you and God's spirit worked in you to convict you of its truth. My heart was veiled until someone shared the gospel with me for about the hundredth time because I was a slow learner and then the spirit worked and I came to know the truth. When I first became a Christian, I just, I didn't get this. I thought, oh, now that I've seen this, now that I know the glory of Jesus, Everyone else must be able to see it. And so I went and I told everyone, and I thought, I'm pretty persuasive, I can argue. But they just weren't interested. A lot of people, some became Christians, but many, most of my friends at that time didn't. And at the time, I thought, why is this? But God told us that would be the case. Hearts are veiled. We declare the glory of Jesus, but it takes God's spirit to remove the veil. And that's my third point. That's why we pray for people, isn't it? That's why we don't just go out and share the gospel with people. We pray for people. We work hard to present Jesus to them, to show them his glory. We seek to persuade them. We give them answers to their questions. But more than anything, we pray that the spirit of the Lord might work in them and give them the freedom to understand the gospel and be saved. I really just want you to take one point away from this sermon. I've said more than one point, but if you're going to take one, take this. This passage is about how wonderful Jesus is. That's what I want you to take away. How glorious his gospel is. And how everything else fades compared to him. So if you're ever tempted to throw it away, to throw Jesus away, either totally or to follow a false gospel like they preached in Corinth, don't do it. Because there is nothing more wonderful, there is nothing more glorious than the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. And the final verse that we're going to look at, verse 18, really brings that home. I think what this verse says is so incredible that if you got bogged down a little while ago in the sermon and I lost you, I want you to come back to me now. Come back, read this verse with me. It's so incredible. I need you to just follow along for verse 18. He says this, he says, we all, he's talking about you if you're a Christian, 
with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. What's that saying? He's taking us back to that picture of Moses again. And he's saying, if you know Jesus, as I pray you all do, if we know Jesus and trust in him, and because we have his Holy Spirit within us, there is no veil over our face. And so we can look directly at the Lord. See, there's no veil over our eyes, so we have a totally unimpeded, face-to-face relationship with God because of Jesus. And like we look in the mirror in the morning, we can look like we see ourselves in that mirror, so we can see the glory of God if we know Jesus. Do you understand how amazing that is? How incredible that is. Moses was in the presence of the glory of the Lord, but he never looked upon the face of God. And he saw the rear of God. Because to look into the face of God was to die because of his holiness. But because of Jesus, we can enter the throne room of God and see him in all his glory. But more than that, he says, as we look on the glory of the Lord, what does the rest of the verse say? We all are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I want you to let your mind be stretched here. I know it's late on a Sunday night. God does not just save you and then shunt you off into a corner to be seen but not heard. He does not just let you have a glimpse of his glory in Jesus. God is at work in you by his Spirit, transforming you and me, so that we start to look like the one we're looking at in the mirror. That's what he's doing. He is not just letting us look at his glory, he's glorifying us. See, the technical word for this is sanctification. God does this gradual work in each person by his spirit and helps us put off sin and put on godliness so that we will grow more and more and more into the image of God. And that change just shines his glory out into the world. Our faces don't glow like Moses's did. You can't go out tonight and look around, there's a Christian, I can see the glow in that car as it drove past. You you can't tell a Christian on the basis of, otherwise people, people would always be looking at me and they'd be saying, you're the, there you go. No, our faces don't shine with the glory of God. How does the glory of God shine out of us? See, something much more amazing radiates out of us than radiated out of even Moses. It is our transformed lives. See, the glory of God radiates out of you as the Spirit does its work in you, as the fruit of the Spirit grow in you. You know those things it talks about, joy and peace and patience and love and gentleness and self-control. I've forgotten some, I'm sure. But that is how people see the glory of God in us as they grow in us through his spirit, as they see our transformed lives because of our faith in Christ. The point of this passage is, Jesus is amazing. That's the point. It's what I want you to take away. And I want you to see that and never forget it. There is nothing more glorious than the gospel we believe. Do not take it for granted. Don't let it become stale news. Don't go through the motions. And whatever you do, don't give it up. 
And don't trade it in for some second grade false gospel that other people will try to peddle you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus we see the wonderful, glorious truth of the gospel. That wonderful news that we are saved not by our works, else there would be no one saved, but through faith in Christ and what he's done for us. And Father, we pray that we will never be led astray, that we will never seek to deny that gospel and turn aside from it, that we'll never seek to add to it, but instead remind us every day of just how wonderful our Lord and Saviour is and just how wonderful is the gospel that we have come to know. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.